So I'm the community pastor here at Bayview Glen Church, and uh, whether you've here, been here for a long time or whether this is your first time uh, here among us, I'm just so glad that you've chosen to worship with us today. Today is such a great day, and uh, I, I mean, I just love it that uh, we had uh, two people uh, from our congregation decide to, to take that step, that next step after saying yes to Jesus and say, you know what, uh, like I said before, I, I'm all in. I'm all in for following Jesus, and their stories are just so powerful, and uh, it's just so great to, to hear um, to hear them give testimony to the work that Jesus has done in their lives. Uh, you know what, if, if you had to come to the 11 o'clock service, uh, right now we would actually be doing uh, baby dedications, all right, or child dedications. That was kind of on the docket for today. And, and I don't tell you that to, uh, you know, to make you say, oh man, why did I get up so early this morning? I should have like slept in and come to the 11 o'clock service. But uh, I tell you, I, I think there's two reasons that... Um, you know, we don't have any child dedications uh, in this service today. And, and, I, and I think the first reason is this. Um, you guys just need to have more babies, all right? So uh, there needs to be more babies in this service. And, and I see, sorry, I got some, some expectant mothers are giving me like the, hey, check it out, um, you know, kind of thing here. So, uh, so good. So uh, in the future here, we're going uh, to have some. But uh, the, the second reason that there are no uh, uh, dedications here, is, and, and this is, you know, more likely is because, uh, you know, for those of you that have gone through the whole experience of having uh, little children, you know that uh, it's pretty tough to get up in the morning. I mean, we're all just trying to squeeze out those last few moments of sleep before we can actually get up and get going. In, in fact, uh, I know that is the reason why we have no child dedications in the service today because I, the ones that I had scheduled for the 915 actually called me up and said, uh, yeah. That's not going to work for me. I can't get, I can't get my kids there uh, that early. Um, you know, I, I know, I know what that's like too. I mean, my oldest is 18 years old. My youngest is 12. And uh, I just feel like now is the time where I'm actually starting to kind of catch up on my sleep, you know, from, from all those years. So, uh, so, so it's good. But it's great, to, uh, it's great that we're going to have some child dedications in the next service. Uh, for those of you that are, are going to stick around for the barbecue, I do need to make this announcement, and that is obviously we're going to have it inside today. So uh, I would love for you guys to come back and join us for, for lunch. Join, it's kind of our family Sunday today, so join us as a family uh, for lunch after the second service today. You know, it is great to be able to share in these family moments. I mean, where we can share in God's blessings to us. Because we, we talk a lot um, about our Bayview Glen Church family, or our Bayview Glen Church community being like a family. And the thing about this image of family is that we know that it's not a perfect image. It doesn't need to be, because we all know that families are messy. I mean, really, you're a part of it. I'm a part of it. Things are going to get a little crazy. But it's a good image. Because what we are trying to communicate with that image of family is that it doesn't matter where you're from, where you've come from, or where you've been. This thing you need to know is true is that you belong here. You belong here. We are a community that embraces and accepts because we love others like God loves us. In whatever capacity or space that you experience community, whether that's a part of our life groups or whether that's here in our worship gathering, these spaces will be places where you are able to share your life with others and know that you belong because we are family. This image of family actually says something about who we are and why we exist. You know, I have a story that I actually want to share with you this morning um, about, you know, 
this type of family. It just actually happens to be here at Bayview Glen Church. Uh, uh, a few months ago, I had a family contact me, uh, Ron and Janine. They, they contacted me and they asked me, hey, you know, we would like to get our daughter Nima dedicated. Is there a possibility that, you know, we, we could get a baby dedication going? I said, well, let me check the schedule. And when I checked the schedule, obviously June 5th was the next available uh, day for them to dedicate their child. Now, the issue here was this, is that Ron... Uh, his family had come, and they were only going to be here for a short while. And so uh, him and Janine talked about it, and they came back, and they asked me, they said, you know what, we can't do June 5th, but is it possible to arrange uh, a private dedication? And I'm thinking, a private dedication? Okay, okay, I haven't done that before, but I think we could do that. So we made arrangements to have a private baby dedication in the Reimer Chapel. And now here's where family comes in. Because see, Ron and Janine are actually part of the choir here at Bayview Glen Church. And our choir has always kind of functioned as a bit of a, a, an extended family. And so the choir got wind that Ron and Janine were going to have this, you know, small little uh, quaint kind of uh, baby dedication in, in the Reimer Chapel. And uh, they just took it from there. I mean, I walked in to the Reimer Chapel that day, and I couldn't believe what I had seen. They had set that place up. There was like a nice little sitting area for the family to come around. They had put uh, uh, tool, is, is that with that white kind of ribbony stuff? Okay, I always think of tools like, you know, in my garage and I'm working around drill hammer. So they, they had like tooling uh, all kind of set around. They had uh, dedicate, or they had uh, uh, gifts on the table, uh, you know, ready to give to this, to this family. They had it all decorated and all, all prepared. And then they even had a song. So when I'm holding Naima, and after we kind of had this time of prayer, and we dedicated Naima to God, they, they got up and the choir just gathered around them and prayed for them and started to break out in this song of celebration that, uh, that Ron and Janine were dedicating their child Naima to, the, to God. And I'm thinking two things at this point. The first thing I'm thinking is, wow. This is awesome. I mean, this is what family is about. This is what community is about. And the second thing I'm thinking is, no one else can know about this. All right? No one, no one else can know about this. And the reason for that is, I mean, I don't want child dedications to become like my full-time job. All right? I mean, uh, it, uh, it was a lot of work uh, to, to get into that. But uh, this child dedication, like I said, it took child dedications to a whole new level. So if any of you actually come up to me and ask and say, hey, Pastor Dave, um, I'm going to get my child dedicated, dedicated and I would like the Nima special, all right, the, the answer is no, all right. I'm just telling you that straight off the hop here. We're going we're gonna to do it uh, in the service here. But I share this with you because it's a great picture of who we are becoming and who God desires us to be as a church, a family where we belong to one another, where we bless each other through the sharing of our life together. Now, you know what, this all sounds really good, but there's a danger here. And I just wanna make us aware of the danger because the danger is this, is that we can get all wrapped up in doing good for each other, looking after the needs of one another, growing closer in our relationships with each other, that we become like an insular family. We become a little ingrown and inbred. We're closed off to the neighborhoods and the communities and the people where God has placed us. You see, we don't exist solely for the good of each other. We exist for the good of the world. You see, God has called us to be a family on purpose, for a purpose. God has called us to be a family on purpose, for a purpose. So what purpose did he give us as a family? I'd like us uh, to take a look at that today. And you can take your Bibles and you can turn to Genesis chapter 12. 
Uh, if you don't have your Bible with you, you can open up the Bibles that are in the uh, seat back in front of you, or as always, we're gonna have the scripture up on the screen. So Genesis chapter 12, verses one to three, this is, this is what they say. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. You see what these verses describe for us is God's plan to reach and restore his creation. We see God taking the initiative to reach out to humanity as he makes a promise and then establishes a covenant with Abraham for the purpose of blessing him so that Abraham can then be the one through whom God's blessings come to the world. This wasn't based on anything that Abraham had done. He had done nothing to earn God's favor. This is not God playing favorites, choosing one family over another as an expression of their superiority, but rather God choosing a family through whom his blessing would come to all peoples. Everything that God gave to Abraham was uh, Everything that God gave to Abraham was for the enrichment of the world. It was through Abraham that the blessing of God's shalom, his peace, his rest, in which he created the world to exist, was going to be restored. You see, when we think about God's original design for the world, we often think about it in terms of, you know, perfection. Everything in God's world was perfect, and we think about the material things there, the trees, the people, you know, all that kind of stuff as being this picture of, of perfection. But there's also something that's very good and very perfect in God's world and God's original design, and that is the relationships that were there, the relationships that existed between what was, what was created. You see, God's world was characterized by a relational peace with humanity at the center of his creation. And in Genesis 1 and 2, we see that God has created a society in which his shalom, his peace, is expressed through the relational peace between all of creation in the garden. If we actually take a look at those, uh, those verses, those chapters where God creates, we see at the beginning of chap- Genesis chapter two, we see a, a, a description of day seven, where God actually finishes off his work and we get this picture of God at rest. Now the interesting thing here is that we can't think about God at rest like he's sleeping or, God, or that he's kind of kicking back with his feet up, sipping margaritas by the beach. I mean, uh, they'd be virgin margaritas uh, probably. Um, you see, th- this is a picture of God dwelling fully or being fully present to his creation. That's what it means for God to be at rest. It means that God is here, God is dwelling with us. Like, you gotta picture it as God kind of sitting on his throne, in his throne room, being fully present to what he has made and and what he has created. You know, we see this perfect relationship between humanity, actually between humanity and, and their very self. Because in that garden, we see that humanity is like, Uh, fully understands what it means to be created in the image of God, to be these people who actually express uh, the glory of God back to him and and then express God's grace and God's love and God's character to his creation. They understand their role in the garden. They understand who they are as stewards of everything that God has made. 
we see uh, this relationship between husband and wife, a fully uh, good and perfect relationship there. You know, we, get, we come to my favorite verse in the Bible where it says, the man and woman were naked and felt no shame. I mean, can you imagine what it would be like to feel no shame? To actually stand in front of somebody and not have to ever size yourself up or size them up or compare yourself to them? I mean, to be fully comfortable with who you are? That is exactly what we see in Genesis chapter one and two. We see uh, a, a perfect relationship, a good relationship between Adam and Eve, between husband and wife. They experience this relational oneness. And we also see uh, the relationship between humanity and the land. Humanity and the land. I mean, can you imagine never actually having to go into your garden and pull weeds? Never having to water your plants, never have, never, never have to get the fertilizer out there and, and make these things grow, that they just happen to grow. They just, because they know what it is, they know, um, they know what they're supposed to do. And this is what we see in Genesis chapter one and two. We see that the land provided everything that was needed to sustain creation. The ground didn't have to be worked. Food was plentiful. I mean, this is what the blessing of God's shalom looked like. It was a place of relational peace. It was a place where, um, where people, where, where, these, where these relationships were valued, where they were good, where somebody's peace didn't come at the expense of another, but rather they worked in concert, they worked in balance, they worked in harmony to create this space where God dwelled with his people. But when we flip the page into Genesis chapter three, we see the society of that God had created, we see an actual upheaval of this. We see an upheaval of God's peace. We see a society that is destroyed because of relational disconnection. The peace that had, had existed relationally in creation was now broken. The relationship between God and humanity is fractured, so much so that humans actually need to leave the garden. And the image that we see in Genesis 1 is they leave the garden, they now have to exist and live outside of that place where God's peace dwelled. The husband and wife, the relational oneness that they, that they enjoyed now has devolved into one of blame and shame. In fact, in the very next chapter, we see how this relational brokenness works its way into the family relationships as the first murder is committed in the Bible by a brother who murders his brother. We see a fracture in the relationship between humanity and, and the self. They have lost their understanding of who they are as the image of God. They now feel ashamed of who they are. And instead of seeing themselves as people who are reflections of their creator with no reason to hide, they now cover themselves in order to hide from the one or and hide, to, to hide from one another and to also hide from God. The last relationship that we see fractured here is the relationship between humanity and the land itself. For the first time, we see in the scripture that humanity is faced with scarcity. Humanity is faced with the fact that, you know what, they might not have enough to survive because now they have to go out and they have to work the land, they have to work the ground, they have to make it produce what it naturally did when we were living in God's shalom. Walter Brueggemann, a uh, theologian, Old Testament theologian, has said this about scarcity. The myth of scarcity ends in despair. It gives us a present tense of anxiety 
fear, greed, and brutality. It produces child and wife abuse, indifference to the poor, the buildup of armaments, divisions between people, and environmental racism. It tells us not to care about anyone else but ourselves. It is the prevailing creed of American society. People who think that their lives consist of struggling to get more and more can never slow down because they won't ever have enough. Incredible, the fractures that we see, this relational fractures that we see um, in just a flip of the page and in our scriptures from a place of God's peace, of God's shalom to a place where there's this relational brokenness. And the irony of all of this is that in the midst of this relational chaos, God decides to restore his shalom through the relational unit of a family. God called Abraham's family on purpose for the purpose of being a blessing to all the families on the earth. It is the same purpose he has given us as a family, as a church family. God has called us together not just to be a blessing to one another, but to be a blessing to the world. He has called us to reach into the relational chaos that exists in our world and bring the blessing of his peace, to bring this shalom with us. You see, his way of reaching and restoring the world has always been through blessing, through blessing his people so that they can be a blessing. In other words, blessed people bless people. Blessed people bless people. So we have to ask ourselves a sobering question. Does the world feel particularly blessed by us? I mean, if you asked your friends, if you asked your coworkers what they think of the church, what they think of Christians, do do you think that they would tell you that they feel particularly blessed by us? You know, I remember when the terrorist attacks happened in Brussels. There was a hashtag that started to trend that said, pray for Brussels, and this, uh, this, Attorney for Freedom from Religion, a guy named Andrew Seidel, he actually wrote this in response to that hashtag. He says, to everyone who suggests that we pray for Brussels, more religion is not the answer to this problem. And while those prayers might make you feel good, that's all they're doing. Pray if you must, but in addition to action, not as a substitute. And don't expect much from your prayers. Religion is not the solution, it's the problem. Hashtag pray for Brussels, not so much. I mean, we have to ask ourselves these questions. Does the world feel blessed by us as followers of Jesus? I mean, to put the question in another way, if Bayview Glen Church closed its doors today, who would miss us? Who in our community would would notice? If you moved out of your neighborhood, to another place, who would miss you? Or if you transferred a job or left your job, how would you be remembered? You see, these are sobering questions, but sometimes we need to ask ourselves the tough ones to evaluate whether we are living out the purpose that God has given us as a family, as blessed people who bless people. There's a, a, a pastor in the States named Dave Ferguson who, uh, who uh, works at Community Church in Chicago. And uh, he talked about this study that had been done actually by, uh, by missionaries. What happened was they sent, the, the, this group of, uh, this, this mission group had sent two types of missionaries into two different communities. 
And what they did there was they sent one group of missionaries and they said, you know what, your sole task here is to convert people. All right, your sole task is to go into this neighborhood and to win converts. The other group of people, the second group of people, what they did was they said to them, they said, you know, your task is to actually go into this neighborhood and to be a blessing. Just figure out ways. I mean, you're, you're smart enough. Figure out ways that you can actually go into a neighborhood and, and bless them. And then this mission organization, after a while, kind of pulled, the, pulled the, the people that they'd sent out, they pulled them back in together. And they started to look at the results of their job, of what they had done. And what they found was this. They found that those they had sent into the world to be converters, all right, they had, the, the, the neighborhood that they were in had experienced zero social change. Zero social change. There had been nothing re redeeming that had been happening in that community. But those that they sent into the community to be a blessing, to figure out how they could bless the neighborhood, how they could be a good neighbor, and all that kind of stuff, they had actually found there was incredible social change. I mean, the neighbors actually were starting to get to know one another. They were inviting people into their homes. Hospitality was happening. There was life that was happening there. And then they started to look at the conversion rate, all right, for those who had said yes to Jesus. And what they found was that those they had sent into the, the neighborhood to be converters, and in the time they had two conversions. In the same time, those they had sent into the blessing, or the neighborhood to be a blessing, had experienced a hundred. A hundred conversions. Why? Because people saw the life that they were being called to. They saw that it wasn't just about what we believe, but it's about how we believe it. It's about the actions that we take. It's about this new life that God has called us into. A new life that is about bringing peace, that is about bringing God shalom. It's about restoring the world. So how can we live as blessed people who bless people? I got five suggestions that I wanna give to you today on how we can bless, how we can be a, uh, live as a blessed people who bless people. The first one is this, begin with prayer. Begin with prayer. When you go into your neighborhood, when you're out for walks, when you're walking the dog or taking the kids out, whatever it is that you're doing, when you're going for coffee, begin your time, begin your walk, begin that journey in prayer. And simply ask God this, God, how do you want me to bless the people in the places you've sent me to? God, how do you want me to bless the people in the places you've sent me to? Pay attention, listen to him. Listen to what he has to say, begin with prayer. The next thing is listen. Listen to your neighborhood. I mean, we are a people that, you know, we, we don't have very long uh, attention spans. We find it very hard to listen to people in ways that, that, that really honor them. But if we are gonna live as blessed people who bless people, we actually need to be people who listen to our neighborhoods. We need to not talk, but we need to listen to people. We need to listen to their struggles. We need to listen to their pains in the places that God has sent us. The next thing is eat, all right? Now don't just check this off and say, oh yeah, I eat all the time. I mean, what we're talking about is actually eating with people, all right? Eating with other people, eating with people in your neighborhood. 
Um, you, have to, you have to have a meal with people or a cup of coffee. It builds relationships. We need to learn as a community that seeks to bless people how to be radically hospitable, how to have open arms and open homes and say, yeah, come on in, the party's here, come and join us. Come and eat with me, come sit with me. Come pray with me, come listen to me. I'll listen to you. Invite people to eat a meal with you. The, the next way is to serve. You see, if we listen to people, or if we listen with people, and if you eat with people, you know what? They, they will actually tell you how to love them. If you're attentive to them, they will actually tell you what it, how, how to love them and how to serve them. You'll know how to do it because they'll actually give you the answer. And then the last thing on how we can live as people who seek, bless people who seek to bless others is this, is that when the time is right, to share our stories. Share the ways in which God has actually impacted our lives. I mean, we heard two stories about how God had changed people today. About God, how God had brought healing. About how God had brought forgiveness. Be ready to share that story with others. So these are the ways that we can live as a blessed people who bless people. Begin with prayer, listen, eat with others, serve and share your story when the time is right. I mean, this is what it means to be a family who lives, who's been called on purpose for a purpose. This is what it means to be a people who are blessed to bless, to bless others. We need to live lives of blessing. You know, we are actually gonna move into a time of uh, communion now, and I'm gonna just ask the uh, ushers to get ready to prepare, but when I think about this meal, and what it means to us, I mean, it is, this is the meal in, in which, you know, Jesus sits with his disciples and he says, look, he says, you who have been far off, you now have been brought near through the blood of Christ. I mean, Paul writes that in the book of Ephesians. Jesus says, through my sacrifice, the wall that has been erected between one another, the relational peace that has been thrown into chaos, it's now done. It's done. In fact, come and eat with me. Come sit at my table. You're invited. I mean, I can't think of a better way to celebrate not just baptisms in terms of how we see how God has blessed us, but a service in which we talk about blessing. Because right in front of us are these tangible elements of flesh and blood, bread and wine, we see how God's blessing has come to us. We see the forgiveness in tangible ways. And this, for, this, this forgiveness, this blessing, this is too good to keep to ourselves. It's a table that we need to share with others. So as the ushers come forward to distribute the elements, as you are taking these elements today, as you're considering the way that God has blessed you, the fact that he has brought you near to him, the fact that he wants, he has called you for a purpose and that he wants you to be a conduit of his blessing to others. I want you to think on this. I want you to think about not only uh, how God has blessed you, but I want you to start to think about those people in your neighborhoods, those people in your lives that you can actually be a blessing to. Take some time to pray that prayer today. God, 
How can I be a blessing to the places that you've sent me in? Let's just bow in a word of prayer. Father God, we are so thankful that you have called us. God, that we are your people. We are a family of believers. And Lord God, as we seek to live as blessed people who bless people, we just ask for your guidance. Pray that you would let us know what it is that we can do, how, can we, how we can be about your mission in the world. God, we thank you that we who were once far off have been now brought near through the blood of Christ. We celebrate that today. In Jesus' name.